the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. We've been doing a series which started last week. We're going to be doing it for the month of September. And we're doing a series called a time as this. We're going through the book of Esther, and the reason we've chosen to do that is because actually when we look at the book of Esther, it's just suggestive. It's a book that's suggestive. And I think Esther is such a powerful and prophetic book for the times we live in, because actually if you go to a dinner party, what are the two things you can't talk about? Um, Politics and religion. And so Esther's just this awesome, awesome, awesome book because it's the perfect discussion start for any kind of uh, conversation with God, about God, because actually God is not mentioned once in the book. There is a book in the Bible where God gets no mention. No, he doesn't get tagged in any pictures. He doesn't get added at anything. He's not in there. Prayer isn't in there. None of that stuff is in there. Yet as you read the book, somehow as you flow through its pages, you're kind of like feeling like God is doing stuff the whole way through. It's a mad, mad book. I wish I could kind of write something like that. So the first week what we had is we had this kind of story going on where there's this powerful king who is running multiple nations, kind of touching all the way from India to Ethiopia in terms of the span of his empire, even some parts of maybe China as well. And he's a really wealthy, really powerful individual. He has been throwing a party for 108 days. Now, anyone with any wisdom knows, like, I've seen how parties go wrong after a couple of hours. You know what I mean? If you have 108 days of parties and then you go like, no, you know what, that wasn't enough. Let's do the remix. Let's do the after party for seven days. They have an after party for another seven days. Like, hashtag wasted. Like, I mean, if I went to a party for 108 days, it would be day two and Andy Gray's dead in an alley somewhere. Like, I would just die of alcohol poisoning within a day. There's no way I'd make it to day 107, 108. Or the after party... Forget it, no way. But he thinks after 108 days of partying, we need another party. So they have another party. All the princes, all these powerful people are there and influencers. And he has this one moment where, I don't know what's going through his head, but he kind of like wants to show his wife off. Like maybe his, his wife is like mad hot or something. I don't know. Well, I, I imagine so he's, he's running an empire. So probably is. And he says, you got to check her out, you got to see her. Hey, you seven eunuchs, you go get her. So they go to go get her, and basically the girls are having a party over over here in, in a different area, not too far away. And then the lads are all in Amandem over in their party, and a couple of Amandem have to run over to the girls and go, "Hey, Queen, King wants you. You got to go there, grab your crown, show you, strut your stuff." And she goes, "Hell no!" And that doesn't go down too well with the king. And the problem is that all the princes and all the other powerful rulers from all over the empire are kind of like, King, bro, like, you're going to let this slide, fam, because like, when we all get home, everyone's going to know about it because all the girls are in the other room. So then all of us are going to get shut down. So I don't want to get shut down at home. No one here wants to get shut down at home. So you need to shut this down. So the king is totally wasted, can't think straight. And so he gets his um, legal team together. I don't know, Ali McBeal, whatever, uh, Judge Judy and Judge Reiner, whatever his name is. I don't know. Trash Rinder. There we go. Trash TV. Got to have some of that in your life, haven't you? Better Jeremy Kyle on the side. It's 45 in the Big Brother house. So what happens is they're all there. They're having this whole thing going down. And he says, you got you got to duppy this, 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 this queen. You got to get rid of her. You got to get rid of her. Fast, divorce. 
uh, the, the language is suggestive. She may just disappear from the sunset like Thanos and have an amazing life. But I reckon she probably gets her head taken off. I think she's a headless chicken that runs around and dies. I think that's pretty much what probably happens to her. And so then there's this beauty pageant. There is the first ever episode of The Bachelor. The Bachelor, 500 BC, takes place. Women from all over the empire want a piece of this unbelievable, he's probably not a billionaire, he's probably, like a, he's probably got gazillions, gazillions of, of dollars, really rich guy. He's doing it, so like The Bachelor, you get like, what, a guy who's worth a couple mil, and there's loads of girls just trampling over each other, like, I don't know animals trying to get away from a slaughterhouse. Like, it's just, everyone's trampling over, it's a car wreck, and someone gets a rose, and that means something, and then, I don't know why, but yeah, people go for it, and that's that. This is totally different. This is like, you will be the, you'll be Queen Bee on planet Earth for that time period, because there is no greater empire around than the Persian Empire, and you will be queen. So this is like, this is an incredible opportunity. So all of that takes place, and we haven't heard about Esther yet. So we hear in chapter two that there was this orphan girl whose mum and dad died probably during the Babylonian dispersion where the Babylonians had conquered her country, separated everyone so they couldn't band together and have a rebellion, spread them all out all over the place, mixed everyone all over the place like kind of shaker glasses on a, on a table. And she only has her cousin. That's all she has, just her cousin. And her cousin raises her as if she was her own daughter. And that's how we see it. Like for me, I find it strange because that's the way the story starts. And I was saying this last week that actually, if I'd written the book, it'd have started straight away with the orphan story. But she kills it on the, on the Bachelor. Her first ever episode airs and she's got the sob story. You know, my mom and dad died under the previous empire that took us over. You know, tear down the cheek, turn away, deep breath, turn back to the camera. Everyone goes crazy, everyone loves her. King hears a story through one of his chief eunuchs. He loves her, positions her, teaches her all the right things to say. She gets the opportunity to meet the king. He says you can have one gift you want, any gift you want. And she's been coached not to ask for something for her, but to ask something that he'd be like, wow, you asked for that? That's amazing. I really dig that. And so she ends up being queen over the whole empire. So I guess the song for that year would be started at the bottom, now we're here. Started at the bottom, now the whole team here. I mean, she's up at the top, but it's not actually the whole team here because her cousin said to her, whatever you do, do not tell them you're a Jew. Keep that completely secret. So we start the story with kind of like continuation with this guy called Haman getting promoted to being the second most powerful man in the nation out of these events. So somehow he's loosely connected to the story. He's never been mentioned before, but maybe the king or the emperor in some way thinks that she's related to him rather than to Mordecai because she's never said her heritage, her identity, her nationality. So we start the story today looking at some haters. So what happens is this guy is, is now the second most powerful man in the nation. He gets loads of money, loads of riches, loads of influence to the point where if he were to walk in this room, all of us by law would be forced to bow down before him like prostrate or like boom, like complete honor. And if you didn't, you'd have broken the law of the land, which is kind of like a, a big deal, it's kind of a big deal. So you'd be in really, really big trouble. You'd be breaking the law of their country if you didn't bow down to this guy. So this guy is going about his town and like, I mean, if I was him, I'd have so much fun with that. I'd be going in and out of rooms, like just technically cross the threshold, everyone get down, you know what I mean? That'd be my kind of thing. I'd walk past people and as they got up, I'd probably walk backwards, you know what I mean? Just take a little step all over the place, bit of a joke. 
but he's going about doing his thing and some people notice that there is one person they see that when this guy walks about, he's not bowing down and he's still standing up. And so it's not even that Haman notices, it's not even that he sees it and he goes like, you know what, I see this guy who's, who's not bowing down when I'm, I'm doing my thing. It's some other people, they notice it. And so they go straight up to Mordecai and go, hey bro, what's this about? Like, I noticed that you're the only guy who doesn't bow down whenever the king comes into the room. Like, you're not, you're not on it, you're rebelling, you're against it, you're not moving with the flow. What's that about? What's that about? And Mordecai answers and he says, oh, it's because I'm a, I'm a Jew. Like, that's, we don't do that, that's not what we're about, that's not part of our core values, that's not part of our society, our identity, our law. That's not how I'm acting, that's not what I'm doing. That's not my wave, I'm not getting in that lane, that's not me. And these guys are like, oh. But then they walk away and they think to themselves, but do you think he's real? I don't think he's real. I don't think this guy's real. I think he's all chat. He's like, he's only standing up when Heyman's like a mile away or whatever, you know what I mean? He's not ever up close or anything. He's always at the back kind of thing. So let's see how real he is here. Let's see how real this guy is. And so what they do is they go up to Heyman and they go, there's this one guy who doesn't bow down when you walk past. One guy. And it's because he's like a, a Jew or something. It's about their law and their identity. Of, so he doesn't bow down. And Haman, here's this, he is absolutely fuming. And you know, I was thinking yesterday about this and how crazy this story is and then I'm realizing actually, you know what, it's not that crazy at all. I can think of like three, four, five, six times in my life where there's been a scenario where people have kind of like said something, people have overheard me say something. And I started to think about it and I thought, I think, you know what, maybe you've experienced this, maybe you've been on the receiving end of this, maybe you've had a moment in your life where people are kind of like, ah, oh, you know, they've heard something that you've said or you've said something and they've just felt like someone else desperately needed to know. Someone who would be made uncomfortable by what you've said, someone who put you in an awkward position, something that would really kind of mess things up for you and they just felt the need that they have to go directly to that person. Sometimes in life, I think like, I rate Mordecai because he has this moment where he kind of says it like it is and he says, well, this is the reason why I'm not bowing down. These are my values, this is what I'm about. Um, I think sometimes in life, one of the great things to do whenever someone comes up to you and they just ask you a really awkward question, I think one of the best things you never do is go, why, why are you asking that? Like, why? Like, watch them squirm. Like, man, I've had so many people try and ask me difficult things, but they just want to put me in a difficult situation. They don't care about the question. They're not going to take that answer and go, oh, this answer is really going to help me in my life. It's going to radically change the way I see the world and how I see other people and how I treat them. They're not thinking about any of those things. Literally all they're thinking about is, man, I want to put this person in a difficult situation and then I'm going to go over here to these people and I'm going to try and put some heat on it. Like, have you guys ever experienced that? I tell you what, the best thing you ever do is go, oh, why, why do you want to know? And they're like, uh, 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 I'm uh, uh, curious, that's the one. After a few hours you'll hear, curious. And if anyone has a response like that, until they can tell me why, man, I generally don't ask question, answer the question because people, most of the time, when they ask you a question that's left the field and really, really difficult to answer and awkward, they're just out to get you. They're out to get you. But Mordecai, maybe he's a bit naive, I don't know, maybe he's just this sweet guy. He turns around and says, well, I'm not bowing down because I'm a Jew, and Jews, we don't bow down to people. That's just not how we do things. We don't worship people like that. We don't do that. So Haman goes away, and he's really, really, really angry. And so what he does 
is he does what any sane person does. He tries to commit genocide, you know, because that's what we do, don't we? You know, one person upsets us, we try to wipe out an entire ethnicity. But actually, if we look through history, some of the craziest, most horrendous acts in human history, if you start to look at the history behind it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you can tell me how Nazi Germany happened, but if I'm to stand in a gas chamber, I still can't process how that could ever happen. If you tell me about Rwanda and the Tutsis and the Hutus, you tell me about them and their story, I still can't process it. You can tell me, oh, but there was all this propaganda from like, um, from the, the Belgium history, from the colonial past, all that kind of stuff. And then there's all this stuff in the government and all this stuff going around the nation. But you still tell me, when you break it down to the smallest level, I remember reading one story in the Bishop Rwanda's book of a neighbor going into another neighbor's house with a machete, killing the family, cutting the baby's head off and the baby's head rolling along the floor. I've got two little girls. When you read a story like that, I cannot process how propaganda can take you there. But human history shows us it's possible. When we look at the transatlantic slave trade, and when we look at all the stories there, the brutality of how people were broken, their identity stripped and broken, when you read the accounts, not just the vast idea and the notion behind it, but the individual brutality towards individuals, like, you can't tell me it makes sense. You can't tell me it makes sense. And in this story, we look at someone like Haman and you read it and it's like so outlandish, but actually, all the time throughout human history, it just takes a fear, a moment. In the Exodus story in the Bible, the children of Israel are looked at by a pharaoh who doesn't remember how they got there. He doesn't remember that there was a guy of their background, their ethnicity, that saved them all from starvation, that came up with a plan that was going to feed the masses. They don't remember any of that. He forgets it. And what does he do? He just sees the number of the Israelites in Egypt and says, they are many, they are numerous, they are strong, and if our enemies attack us, they will side with them, and they will break free, and they will leave us. I guess one of the biggest fears you and I can ever have and one of the biggest dangers that can ever happen to us is actually when we start to see the days. It's very easy, isn't it, to be, to be British to the exclusion of other nations. It's very easy to be pro whichever race or camp you find yourself in. It's very easy to be pro whatever class you're in. It's very easy to be pro whatever you're like. Although when it comes to football, it makes sense because Liverpool is God's team and I don't know why anyone supports any other team. <laughs> I'm taking that as an amen, and um, there we go. But that's the danger. And with Haman, what happens is, is he sees this guy not bowing down, and he goes straight to the king, and he can't go to the king and say to him, like, listen, there's this one guy who won't bow down to me, and you need to kill this guy, because actually there was a plot against the king, and Mordecai was the one that told the king that two guys are ready to kill you. Two of your own servants are going to try and kill you. And so the king is saved from that. So he can't walk up to the king and go, Oh, you know that guy that like, saved your life the other day? Yeah, 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 that great, great, great guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think he needs to die because he won't bow down to me. You know what I mean? You can't really go that way about it, can you? You can't say that. There's no way, no matter how good a spin doctor you are, no matter if you're Boris Johnson as a politician, and you can say all sorts of outlandish tomfoolery and get away with it, there's no way of spinning that one. You can't go, you know the guy who saved your life? Yeah, okay, well, I think he kind of needs to die. You can't spin it, you just can't. So what does he do? He goes, hey, there's this people group uh, in the empire. They don't share the same values as us. They're a little bit different, culturally a little bit awkward. They won't kind of do the things that we do. And they're breaking and disregarding some of your laws, still clinging on to their old identity from when they were back home in their nation. And, you know, they kind of need to, they need to, they need to go. 
it's not too different a line of conversation, removing the genocide part, from coming over here and stealing our jobs. No one really says coming over here saving our lives, even though the NHS is quintessentially not British, if anyone has noticed who works there, generally speaking. But you see how quickly people can say something about a particular group or a particular person. How quickly it can happen and how quickly things and dangerous things can take place. So in this one, it goes that way. And the king hears this and he's outraged that people would be kind of defying him, that wouldn't be moving with him, that wouldn't be doing and going in this way. And so he agrees with Haman. Then Mordecai and the Jewish people start to see these notices going around, which happens to the Jewish people quite a bit throughout human history. And they're starting to see these, these, these edicts that they're to be annihilated, that they're just to be outrightly killed. And there comes this moment where Mordecai just does the only thing he can think to do, and he dresses like a weirdo in sackcloth, pours ashes over his head, a sign in their culture of like mourning and devastation, like his whole world is crumbling apart. And he just runs outside the, the gate of the palace because he knows that Esther will hear he's there, but she can't even interact with him because she's now with the king. She's his uh, side this, so she can't interact with other guys and stuff. So she's away there. So the conversation in the Book of Esther is mad long because it's like one guy running back with the conversation, then running back with the conversation, then running back. It's like, it's, it's like really complicated. It's almost like Chinese whispers and you're going around like getting a bit of a headache as you kind of read it. But what tends to happen is she goes like, why are you dressed like that? Like, like change your clothes. And then she's kind of like looking out of the palace window or whatever, and she sees he's still like that. And then sends the guy back like, what are you doing? You're still, you still haven't gone away and got dressed. And then he goes, well, this is what's happening to our people. And then she gets really scared, and he's really scared. And then he's kind of like, you need to speak to the king. And then she's like, did you not hear like what happened to Vashti, like the, the, the old queen? She didn't come when he called her, and she got duppied, she's gone. I'm now here, and actually, if you go before him when he doesn't call you, you also get the same outcome. Like, unless he says and forgives you and allows you to come. She goes, he hasn't bailed me in a month. I, if I go running in there, like, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna lose my life. Like, you gotta kind of figure this one out on your own, is basically what she's saying. She's actually the epitome of like, come at the frog, you know? It's none of my business, just sipping on that tea. Some pretty good tea in the palace, I imagine, as well. Uh, it's pretty Christian here, no one knows I'm a Jew. Sipping her tea. And Mordecai, he says, you need to know that actually, what if you're not safe in your palace? What if this comes to you? And then he says to her that, he gives a suggestion that perhaps you were born for this one moment. Perhaps you've gone from being this orphan that no one gave a poo about it's the most powerful woman in the world. Perhaps for such a time as this, you're in this position, you need to go to the king, you need to step up, you need to do it. And she's still not quite buying it. And then he goes, he says some gassed up talk, man. Who's ever done this? You know the gassed up thing where you're like, well, yeah, 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 well, never mind you. We'll, we'll do it without you anyway. When you know there's no way you're going to do it without that person. It's like, oh, wait, they're the one with the actual ability to make the entire plan happen. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll go without you or like you're trying to make a little business thing and your one mate who's got like the 25,000 pounds you need and everyone else is flat out broke. You don't, we'll find the money another way. He's like, yeah, nice one. <laughs> Good luck with that. He kind of goes to her, hey, there'll be another way that the Jews get saved. And then she's like, all right, I'm in. Like, but you guys need to fast for three days. I find that funny. I find that whole story funny. And I find it funny that it also mentions fasting 
in a book of the Bible where there's no prayer. I find that really funny. So it's like, you want me to starve myself for actual no reason whatsoever in any connection to any higher power or being to change the situation in any way, shape or form. But she makes them fast. She makes them fast, she fasts, which is a really bad idea. If you're going before the king, you want to look great, not like, like, ah, ah, like, you know, bags for eyes, all that kind of stuff. You want to look peng if you want to try and save your entire ethnicity from an edict. So she steps up. I guess when I was reading this, I was thinking like, man, this is a really tough kind of thing to kind of relate to, to you and I. Because in this story, we're talking about like genocide. Like, I don't know if any of you are going to walk into your workplace tomorrow morning and be like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what Andy was talking about. Genocide, kicking off in the workplace. Let me intervene here. I'm going to step in and speak to my manager. All right, hi, sir, could we not kill an entire people? It's not going to happen in your workplace, is it, on Monday morning, let's be honest. But then I started to remember um, a story a Scottish evangelist told once at a church I was at, and he was talking about Nazi Germany. And he talked about this one particular church in Nazi Germany where it came to a particular point in the service where they'd open their hymn books and they'd just scream as loud as they could. Scream this hymn out. Did it every single Sunday, the same point, Really, you, if you watch them and you're charismatic, you think like, these guys are on this team. They are on fire for God. This is awesome. This is amazing. What amazing worship. This is just incredible. That's what you'd think. But then one Sunday, as they're all screaming as loud as they can, the, the, the pastor closes his hymnal and he stops singing. And as he stops singing, one by one around the church, everyone stops singing. And then when there's this deathly silence across the whole church, the reason at this point, every single Sunday, they've been screaming as loud as they could, was they could hear the train going past, taking the Jews to the concentration camps. They could hear the, men, the, the women, the children, the men crying out. They could hear the train going past, knowing exactly what that was about, knowing exactly what was gonna happen. And as the pastor stood there with the hymn book closed and the whole church in his deathly silence, he just said, Father, forgive us. We don't know what we're doing. And I remember hearing this guy make a point that kind of stuck with me for the, the rest of my life ever since. He made this point that actually, he said he feels like today we're watching generations on the train track going to forever out God, cut off from God, cut off from all the goodness that he has for them. And he says, I feel like so often we're just too interested in singing a nice song. We're too interested in doing like another inward focused kind of Bible study. We're too interested in having another little kind of like christian subculture session going on. We're too interested in all these things that we're just going to kind of like sing louder and drown out the screams of a generation. And we're not going to get involved in any of the issues surrounding us. I guess that's something that really hits me because when, you, when I look at Bill Clinton, his biggest regret isn't Monica Lewinsky, it's Rwanda, it's the genocide, that he had the power in 94 to step in with the American military and stop the genocide taking place. And he says that's his biggest regret, not Monica Lewinsky, that, that lost him the presidency, that, that moment of foolishness. It's not that, it's Rwanda that's his biggest regret. I think I don't want my life, and this morning I wanted to encourage us to be focused on the mission of God that he calls us to, that we will be people that share the goodness, the love of God that he pours into our lives, and that we will be people this week whose ears aren't closed but open, that we're listening to the moments when someone says of us, I never saw this happening. I never thought that would happen. I never thought this relationship would break down. I never thought that my mum would be the person with terminal cancer. I never thought that, that this friend would betray me in this way. I never thought that 
I find myself homeless. I never thought I'd find myself getting sacked. I never thought I'd find myself in this situation, this situation. I never thought I would be the one who gets HIV. I never thought I would be the one, insert whatever scenario you want, and that we don't do a Queen Esther and, and as Christians come at the frog it. One of my biggest regrets of my life was a moment where one of my best friends was around my house and we were talking about life and stuff and I was telling him about how messed up my life was and what God had been doing. And I remember him turning around to me going, man, you know what, I wish I, I could be a Christian like you. And I don't know why for the life of me, I didn't. Like, I should have done the whole, like, that should have been blood to me. Like, that's normally the kind of moment where I can hear Leona Lewis, this is my moment playing in my head. Like, I'm gonna shit, I'm getting this guy saved. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know what I was doing. And that moment just passed. And like, he doesn't really want anything to do with God now. And I just took a moment where I just I sipped on my Christian tea. I dodged it, because it's a bit of an awkward one. I guess what I'm saying this week is, I pray that you and I would have the courage and the boldness to step into other people's worlds, their hurts and their position, and just love them, hear them, and speak something wonderful into their lives. It really doesn't take much. But if as Christians, our biggest goal is gonna be going to another burn where we sing worship all night, or we go and we go to like a Bible to study discipleship group on top of another group, on top of another group, all those kind of things, whilst we ignore, we ignore that we believe that people are going forever out God, we're just like Esther, sitting at home in the palace, just sipping on our tea. I'm just gonna pray for us today and then that'll be it. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness, your grace towards each and every one of us. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that uh, there isn't a single person here today that you don't have good and wonderful plans for, Lord. I just pray that you'd receive us as we are, that you would love us. I pray, Father, as well, that you know what? Some of us might be in the thick of it right now. Feel a bit like Mordecai, like our, our, our lives are on the line in some way or in some capacity. I thank you, Lord, that in the coming weeks we're going to hear how you did an amazing work and, and really looked after them. And I just pray that, Father, we would trust you to see you do the same in our lives in the coming weeks. I pray also, Father God, that you'd help us to be people like Esther, who actually maybe our first incl inclination is to step back when there's a madness going on, a family situation, a friendship circle, or within our community, and I want to sit back and sip on tea. But I pray that actually we'll be people that step out and get fully involved and try to make the difference and try to faithfully love and serve people, Lord, in Jesus' name. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.